What do you call a bear with no ears? A bee. A bee. A bee. Yes. A bee. No. A bee. A bee. A bee. A bee. The ER. What do dentists call x-rays? Now this is an old one. You should remember it. What do dentists call, call x-rays? Toothpicks. Toothpicks. Oh, no. Oh, man. Toothpicks. Toothpicks. Okay, final one. Which bird has the worst manners? Mockingbirds. Oh. Yep. That last one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're all. <laughs> it's all right. Okay. <clears throat> I'm super excited about this message. This is one I was telling you guys about that goes into the different levels of discipline uh, with the Lord. I think that. Um, by the time we're done, you guys are going to, number one, see an even greater picture of God's goodness. Uh, number two, be able to recognize if there's a possible discipline <coughs> that is occurring in your life. But one reason I think this is such an important message is uh, people blame God for everything or they blame the devil for everything. It's one of the two. Uh, the Lord, when he disciplines, we're going to learn how he does it, and he's extremely gentle and long-suffering and extremely merciful. We're also going to see that, you know, when bad things happen like car wrecks and sickness and things like that, those are not the chastisements of the Lord, by the way. They're, but they can be uh, evidence of maybe an open door that it is using, or they can be a testing of the Word. Because whenever you get a word from the Lord, the enemy is going to test it. It's, he, he's always going to do that. So when I got the word of divine health, I was tested in health. When I got the word of uh, warfare of wealth, we were being tested in uh, money. Now, the, the money issue, though, is actually not the enemy necessarily. So you're going to come away with a clear understanding and what to do. Uh, and then... I got a revelation, it's very short, but I got a revelation in this teaching that finally answered a long question. Now, it uh, triggered another question, but I'm still working on that. Okay, so we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 5 and 6. And I'm in the Passion Translation, and it says, Have you forgotten... His encouraging words spoken to you as his children. He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God or get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves that you are a delighted or his delightful child. Now, there's several phrases uh, don't underestimate the value and then evidence of his faithful love. Those, uh, to me, sum up what we're going to learn today because his His correction for us is evidence that we're his children. And uh, so to, you know, go through a discipline from the Lord, a lot of people, again, attribute bad things happening to them as the discipline of the Lord. That's not how he works. And uh, I'm going to prove it today. And I, this will probably be one of the most important messages for people to hear, especially those, and I'm not trying to be offensive, which is rare, but, uh, <laughs> but most people in the church system view discipline the wrong way. I've been there. I'm sure all of y'all have been there. Where, again, I think back to like if my dog had to go to the vet or if we had a breakdown in our home, Oh, I must have done something wrong for us to have these issues. Uh, not taking into fact, if you have a dog, you sometimes have to take them to the vet. Uh, if you have a house, you sometimes need repairs. I mean, it's really ridiculous. I mean, I didn't think that when, you know, we've had to have repairs at the house. Like, oh, oh, 
but you know, must have done something wrong. You know, it's just a normal part of life. And uh, and then same thing with sickness. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, well, you know, what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? You know, they had some eye disease and all kinds of crazy stuff people come up with, uh, and and they use it to prove lack or to prove sickness. It's very weird. I, I don't understand why you would want to have evidence that God wants you sick. I don't know why you would want to have evidence that God wants you poor, not able to... Oh, what happened? Memory cards full. Oh, darn it. Well, we'll just use the Facebook. I don't know why people would want evidence that God wants you not to be able to pay your bills. It doesn't make any sense. And so it's a misunderstanding of the nature and the character of a true and a good father. Okay? Which, again, we were raised as orphans. Now, I'm going to give you guys a lot of uh, Greek definitions that we can really dig into this and get a clear picture. Okay, so as saying, Paul, the way he has phrased this passage, as well as the things he said as far as certain uh, Greek words, he gives us clues on what discipline from the Lord looks like. From my study, I've come to the conclusion that there are stages and varying degrees according to our response to his instruction, okay? Which we're going to get into. But all discipline, and this is very important, must be viewed through the goodness of the Father. If you don't view it that way, you'll become offended or you'll assign a trial or a consequence of poor decisions to him. Okay, so just to be plain. If you don't filter the discipline of the Lord, first you've got to recognize the true discipline of the Lord. A lot of people don't see it. If you recognize the discipline, then you have to filter it through the good Father. And then you also have to understand, okay, is this a trial or is this a consequence of my own decisions in order to make sure that you don't attribute that to Him? Now, where it says encourage, and this may be... Um, can someone open this passage up in a does anybody have like a New Living Translation or a King yeah. James okay can you read uh, verses 5 and 6 oh wait 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 no I'm good where it says have you forgotten his encouraging words okay the word encourage it's parakaleo and that's a, a form of the word paraclete which is to describe Holy Spirit right so it's parakaleo, uh, and it uh, means to aid, help, comfort, and encourage. It also means to cause someone to be encouraged or consoled either by verbal or nonverbal means, right? So have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? Then he says, or the Greek says, uh, it can also mean to admonish, which is to reprove or scold, especially in a mild and good-willed manner. Now, I'm thinking that there was some type of communication to them beforehand. Because he said, have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? So I don't know if this was a previous letter that Paul wrote to the Hebrews, if maybe it was given to them when he was there in person? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. Or maybe he's simply referring to some of the things previously, but it kind of seems like the context is there was a previous communication of encouragement, and there might have been a gentle scolding, you know, something of that manner that had occurred. But I like how it says mild and goodwill, okay? Now, the word sons... It's H-U-I-O-S, and it refers to a mature child versus technon, which is a child, but it doesn't yet display the characteristics of its father. Jesus was never referred to as a technon, ever. He was always referred to as, I, I say huos, I don't know if that's correct, or, you know, huios, whatever it is. He was never referred as an immature child. Which is interesting because we know that he had to grow up. But he was in the synagogue asking the Pharisees and even probably teaching to a degree 
questions and ideas that astounded them. So as the word of God, right? Of course he should have been doing that. And uh, so he was never referred to as an immature child. All right, so the Lord will discipline those, uh, chastise those, uh, in order to make sure that we are mature children, okay? All right, now, uh, Huos, or whatever it is, uh, Huey Lewis, uh, is also used figuratively of one who is the object of parental love and care and can refer to a spiritual child. It is emphatically the opposite of uh, nophos, which is an illegitimate child or fatherless child. So the fact that he used that word is emphatically opposing the idea that we're any longer illegitimate or fatherless children. Then, where it says that he uh, uh, disciplines those that he loves, true fathers discipline those they adore. Now, I have never been able to find this. Uh, it might be in Proverbs, I'm not sure. But somewhere in the, uh, the Kings, the Chronicles, or Proverbs, there's a scripture that gives us an inside look into David and Solomon's relationship. And Solomon uh, felt the unfairness of being disciplined more than his brothers. Okay? Well, it tells us two things. <clears throat> it tells us that David adored Solomon. And I think the reason that David adored Solomon is, number one, he was uh, a redo, I guess you would say, because the first child that uh, Bathsheba carried obviously died. Um, but also the Lord adored Solomon because he said his name, his nickname will be Jedediah, which means beloved or adored. Isn't that neat? What fascinates me about Solomon and him becoming the king is he was actually not next in line. But it was prophesied that he would be king and that he would be a king of peace, which he actually had to kill off a few people in order to do that right off the bat. But uh, he is the product of an illegal relationship, right, that was surrounded by scandal and murder and betrayal and yet God picked him and so it's the same thing with us you know what I mean like we are a product of the fallen world maybe our parents were married or maybe they weren't and uh, maybe we were loved maybe we weren't and yet God invited us into the solution so I think that's really neat. okay now Proverbs 3 11 through 12 uh, one of my favorite scriptures whenever can't we get in trouble as I'd be like, hey, spare the rod, send the child to hell. You don't want to go to hell, do you? No. All right, bend over, son. <laughs> so get your women. But this was my uncle's like favorite quote of all times. But you have to know that he did the stupidest thing, and he was like the king of the accidents, and Gary uh -oh. knows him, Bruce. Yep. He would do things like, as a seven-year-old person, drive a motorcycle in a cow, Right, and then couldn't figure out when it went this way. And back up into ditches? No. <laughs> oh, that's just the. No, how about use bailing wire to, to, to. Because he didn't have the right trailer hitch. And then couldn't figure Whoa. out how come his trailer would come unhooked. <laughs> Go through bob wire because he, when the motorcycle went this way, he kept going this way. <laughs> but he told me because he was having some issues later. No, so list off any accident you might have had. So he goes up and he said, okay, if I run out of space, I'm going to put it on the back. <laughs> yeah, I just put it on the back. And he said, and then that doctor just got mad at me. <laughs> because he looked at me, it's like, well, idiot, no wonder <laughs> her issues. Yeah, I mean, yeah, let's smoke out some pack rats out of the deal. Catches it on fire, almost <laughs> burns himself up. I mean, it's over and over and over, just stuff like that. And it was like, God chastises the ones he loves, and I'm like, that's not chastising. not actually you doing it. I'm telling you. I thought his, like, his the guardian angel looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> All the rest of ours were the little fat cherubs. 
For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, and as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now the word delight means to take pleasure, to treat favorably, to favor, and to accept. Now, I put this in bold. Discipline is evidence of God's pleasure in you. Okay? So that's different from thinking the Lord is displeased with you, therefore he broke your appliance and now you have to come up with money to fix it. Or he's displeased with you so now you're sick, hopefully you'll get healed, if not, at least you'll be humble. You know what I mean? Like that's totally different. The enemy is an abused, abusive uh, dad. He's an absentee dad, he's an abusive dad when he shows up. That's who used to be our father. We now have a totally different father who his discipline is evidence of his pleasure, evidence of his acceptance, and evidence of his favor upon me. I love that. Job's five, uh, Job's. Job 5.17 says, Behold, blessed, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. The word blessed is better translated, Oh, the bliss of. Okay. Yeah, I I can't remember exactly when. Uh, I was probably in my thirties when all of a sudden I understood how his discipline was to be treasured, and I, and I embraced it. Embrace it. Uh, it's not always painless, but I absolutely love the discipline of the Lord because to me it's like number one, I'm not a bastard. But number two, if he's not disciplining me uh, whenever I need it, then what does that tell me about, okay, have I stiff-armed him or ignored him so much where now it's like, why even bother? You know, I, I just, to me, it was evidence of his care. And so these scriptures prove, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't read the joke one until uh, I was saying this the other day. Well, and I think also... At least in my case, you know, you have that little thought. You shouldn't do that. You really should go. Yeah. And then you're like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that discipline. But then it helps you because the next time that that happens, and you get that little maybe yeah, little chatter for each other okay. instead of just kind of on a chair or whatever. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Maybe Holy Spirit is telling me do this, and I'm doing. So I go to do that. That's neat. That's a neat uh, perspective on that because yeah. it is true. It's like those little things yeah. that could have ended up a lot worse. You know, the Lord's like, hey, you probably shouldn't do that. We ignore. We do it. We have some type of consequence. Then the next time, it's like, uh huh. Yeah. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the time to do a drill to put up hummingbird feeders. I'm gonna get a ladder. Still, you know, mess with that one. But I. In those little lessons, like whenever I, I was going to make a cake and I need to go to the store, you know, the Lord's like, hey, you need to get some eggs. Yeah. I was like, well, I'm not an egg left. That's all I need for the cake. Guess what? Roll, splat, right on the floor. <laughs> now I get to go get eggs. Yeah, so even my shopping list, if I'm there or he's, you know, making it up on a little app about, hey, you need some of this, okay. I just have it. I don't ask you questions. Okay. I just go and immediately get it. It saved me so much time. Those are small things, but they're very good training tools. So I, you know, you can yeah. you can rejoice that you knew he tried to tell you. That. Yeah. 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 And he was trying to discipline in the right, you know, the correct way. Yeah. And you were just like yeah. shit, stiff arming them. Or you dismiss it, and then you just you dismiss, right? Versus it's so it's an opportunity really to grow. Yeah. And God cares about eggs. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the little things. He cares that you yeah. don't leave your keys in the house, and then you have to figure out a way in. He, you know, he cares yes. about all of those things. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's really good. Except backing up. It, well, he was probably <laughs> telling you actually to well, go. I didn't intend, like, and then <laughs> I couldn't see anything back there. My only, my only thought was, 
Where's Garrett going? <laughs> Straight for the ditch. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the word reproof. This word uh, here in Job 5.17 means to convince, to convict, to judge. The word usually refers to the clarification of people's moral standing, which may involve arguments being made for them or against them and the verdict of a case between two people. In the New Testament, it was the desire for someone to mediate between God and humankind. In the New Testament, Christ is our mediator. Therefore, we're continually represented by Jesus and we're innocent. It's not not guilty verdict. Because you can still be guilty as you know what. And OJ was guilty, guys. We all know that. It's innocent as if you never sinned. For that reason, God's reproving is to convince us and clarify for us who we are now leading to a change of mind and a realigning of one's values to the rules. Okay, so that's bliss. That's bliss is that person. So we're to esteem highly the Lord's uh, discipline of us because it's one of the highest honors that we can receive from Him. It's a great demonstration of His love for us. But how? How does He discipline? This is so cool. It's a crucial crucial question to answer because, again, I think anything bad that happens to us, we think it's God's discipline or we think it's the enemy. Uh, others, uh, they don't even know the Lord dis disciplines at all, and they're spoiled rotten, you know. So the word discipline that's used in Hebrews, back to Hebrews, is pideias, P-A-I-D-E-I-A-S, and it's the word instruction, okay? Now, it did evolve over time to mean chastening because, excuse me, all effectual instruction for the sinful children of men includes and implies chastening and correction. But... I believe this shows us a progression of discipline if we refuse to hear, which is what we're going to get to in a second. Now, there are three other Greek words used for chastisement or discipline. One is N-O-U-T-H-E-S-I-A. Nathesia, maybe? That's an instruction by word. Padeia is instruction by deed. Now, the deed is interesting. Well, and again, I'm going to break all this down. The next one is Colossus. Uh, it means penal affliction, punishment, and then Tomorio, which is penalty, punishment, which is no penal retribution, while Padea speaks of correction, educative, discipline. Uh, so the last two, Colossus and Tomoria, refer to imprisonment for crimes. Now, a good example of that, but even this is in the Lord's mercy, uh, is in, I think it's Matthew 18, where the guy... Uh, he had a you know, mega, mega debt that he owed the ruler, remember? And the ruler saw him and had compassion on him, and so he freed him from his debt. And then the guy left that place of forgiveness and looked for a man that owed him about 50 bucks back then. He finds him and he's choking him, demanding his $50. Well, some of the servants of the ruler saw this man had been forgiven like millions, the equivalent was millions of dollars, and he purposefully goes out to find someone that owes him 50, and so they reported it back to the ruler. The ruler then threw him into prison and turned him over to the torturers. The word torture, I, I went all the way back as far as I could find, is a touchstone. You know, a touchstone, you touch a piece of metal to it to see if it's genuine. That's what a touchstone is, in case you ever wondered. It evolved to me placing a person on a rack and stretching them until they tell the truth. It was a tool that was meant to let the other person know that was being tortured that they were not being real and authentic. They were fake and believing a lie. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> Tortures also refers to sickness, mental health, and demonic uh, uh, imprisonment in the original language. So when people refuse to forgive, they are then delivered to the power of tortures, and that's going to be a very important phrase, which we're going to get to in a yep. second. They're delivered over to the power of those in order to wake up. Wake up. And we've seen people that are in unforgiveness that literally lost their mind. So all of that is instilled.
stages meant to awaken them like, hey, you're not being a, a, a you're being a hypocritical person as a believer. It's not true. So I would say that's a good example of um, the uh, Colossus and Tamoria. But I want to go back to uh, what we decide now, Thesia. I want to go back to that one in Padea. Now, Thesia is, quote, any word of encouragement or reproof which leads to corrective behavior. Okay, now it's the word. Hey, get eggs. Hey, don't sound the chair, get a ladder. Hey, blah, blah. Or it can refer to the word of God itself. So spoken or written, right? Okay, Methalsia is the milder term without which Padilla would be incomplete. In other words, Padilla will always have word that demands action. Okay, so that's how it's a little bit different. Uh, in both words, there is an appeal to the conscience, the will, and reasoning facilities. So the best example of Nathesia is here in uh, John 15, 1 through 3, okay? I am a true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. Now, I like how the, the passion phrases it. He will lift and prop up the fruitless branches. Now, it can be cut off as well, but there's a progression of discipline. He prunes every branch that is fruitful because if a fruitful branch is not pruned, it's going to run off and overgrow, sapping all the energy from the rest of the vine. Okay, so even the fruitful areas have to be cut back because you want good fruit, you want inferior fruit. And like Kathy said, you know, it's best to prune uh, from the start when the branch is small because of pain and damage that can happen is uh, greater once the branch Anybody has Anybody notice the trees grown. this year? Okay, go look at, and see if you see a lot of dead in trees. Uh, because this year we had, a, it was a dry year last year right. and a cold year, yeah. a cold dry. And we've noticed that you have a tree and it may be, have branches, but one hole, and it may be a huge limb, is dead because it's sacrificed. It didn't just send out a whole energy just to, a little energy to a lot of places. It just cut one big branch off and then direct, directed all the energy so the rest of the tree could live. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's only like maybe half the tree's alive and the other half's dead. Interesting. So, yeah, don't go through. Go on and look, at, and look at trees, and you see a lot of dead. Look and see how that is. And it's just the tree's way of protecting itself, basically. And, gee, if you decide to be that way, I think you need to do is pull over to the side of the road, look at the trees, and then don't run into any I'm going up. forward. I'm okay. Okay, the word uh, prune. Uh, we talked about last week, I believe, that both prune and cleansing. I've cleansed you with the word I've spoken over you. They're, uh, they're both uh, very similar. Uh, prune is uh, K-A-T-H-A-I-R-O, and it means to cleanse from filth and purify. Here in John, it refers to the vine in that the vine dresser clean, cleanses a branch in order that it may bear more fruit. Clean is katheros. And it means clean, pure, clear, in a natural sense, unsoiled, and unalloyed. One is a verb, and one is an adjective. But what I want you to notice is how they were cleansed, and that was the words. Did you notice it was uh, the words um, I have spoken over you? Did y'all notice that? It's plural. So one thing that tells us is that his uh, nathesia, the initial discipline, is the word or words he's speaking over you. And it's going to be very unique to you. You know, a lot of times we'll get a word or God shows us something and we think it applies to everybody. You know, it may not apply to everybody. Now, if it's in the word, of course. But, you know, I remember uh, there was a time where it seemed like every charismatic person I met was saying, you got to throw out your TV. Can't watch TV. It's devil's box. Throw that thing out. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, at the time, we were trying to save money, and we went ahead and got, like, I think, uh, some Christian package or something, and then later uh, we were able to go back to cable. But 
I didn't want to throw out my TV. I didn't feel like God was telling me to throw out my TV, and so I didn't throw out my TV. You know, that's a word for you. If God's telling you to get rid of your TV, then that's probably for you. You may have the problem, but it doesn't mean it's everybody. That's why you can't put the things that he tells you that are personalized on everybody else, okay? So you have to be really careful with that. All right. Now, words, rhema or logos, doesn't matter. This is the best example of nathesia, the milder form of discipline, in which I think is the first level. Now, in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children but raise them up with loving discipline and counsel that brings the revelation of our Lord. The word loving discipline, it's also translated nurture, nurture them in a way they should go and they will not depart from it, is pedeia. Now listen to how the Greeks speak this word. This is very interesting. Pedeia, in the classical Greek system of education and training, uh, which came to include gymnastics, grammar, rhetoric, poetry, music, mathematics, <coughs> geography, natural history, astronomy, and the physical science, history of society and ethics and philosophy. The complete, uh, oh my gosh, P-E-D-A-G-O-G-I-C-A-L course of study necessary to produce a well-rounded, fully educated system. Padea, in the Greek sense, aimed at the creation of a higher type of man. Padea meant the process of educating man into his true form, the real and genuine human nature. Okay, what's interesting about all of those, they basically our education system is a padea. So what it is, is you have the instruction or the nathesia, right? You have the words, it gives you the words. Then padea, scratches that my eyes were crossed. Then you go to padea and you have to put the word into practice. So it's like you go to school, you learn algebra, what do you have to do? You have homework. So you then have to do your homework, and then it gets graded, and then you're tested, right? So now you're going from the technos child, right, into the maturing as a child where you're taking the word, and you actually have to apply it. So where you read that you must forget, give, guess what? You're going to be tested. If you want to know why you're being tested, just look back at the last word he spoke over you or look back at the last thing he told you. That's probably why you're now being tested in it. <laughs> we get fussy with tests, but the whole purpose of the test is to make sure that we apply what we learn. So that's why Padea has deed with it. Does that make sense? Okay. And I love this. To bring us into our true form. The real and genuine human nature that God originally intended for us to have. All right, so we can see that Padaya now requires practice, hands-on training and deeds that develop a person to his true form. It's the word with the practice of it that constitutes Padaya. So you have to practice the lessons the Holy Spirit is teaching you just like you would music, grammar, gymnastics, etc. So this is what he's referring to uh, in Hebrews 12:4, where the passion adds the word training. That's why they do that. Discipline and training is Padaya. Right there. Okay. Now, do not grow weary. All right, so verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Okay, so number one, Nathesia. Number two is Padea. Now we're into reproved. This is number three in the discipline process. And it's E-L-E-G-C-H-O. Electro. I have no idea. Okay, it means to convict, to prove one in the wrong, and thus to shame him. Uh oh. Uh -oh. Um. It means to rebuke, admonish, and usually it's with the verb pedeu. Oh. <laughs> so you see, now we've got nathesia, add to it pedeo, uh, pedeo and now. He's, what is it? Pedro. <laughs> now he's adding to that the next one, but notice the deo is always there. It's always there. It also means to expose hidden things and make manifest. Now we see, okay, 
we've got you know mind training with the word and then he adds word and practice but if that's not working and correcting thoughts and behavior <coughs> now it's time to expose those things that are in secret so now there's a danger see um it's God's greatest mercy to expose someone if they refuse to repent and confess if they're in sin. Because they actually could end up in hell. So God's mercy is he will open up those secret things that are going on. He's not shaming. It's a natural response to being exposed. Okay? So shame and embarrassment for the sin that one has committed is a natural thing. It, but it's intended... It's funny, we did a, uh, me and Coach Greg did a Fast 45 this week, and we were talking about how the brain uses emotion as shortcuts. Now, the thing is, is that your emotions can lie to you, so you can't always trust your emotion, but it will use it as shortcuts. And shame and embarrassment is a shortcut where if you start feeling it again, the brain's like, hey, whatever you're doing, stop. You know, and it'll start, hey, let's, you know, it'll start flinging out that shame and embarrassment to get you to stop doing what you're doing. Now, you can ignore those emotions, harden yourself to even the brain's attempts to protect you and continue to do uh, what you want to do. But eventually, if you're a believer, God will expose what's going on, okay? So, uh, now it's time to expose what's going on in secret. God is extremely long-suffering. And he will do all he can to deal with sin in private. Okay? He, he doesn't want to expose people. But if we refuse to correct, he will then expose, and unfortunately, along that comes shame. The word shame is, quote, the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, ridiculous, etc. Again, the Lord isn't trying to shame you, but he is willing to go there because he's more concerned with your eternal home than your temporary refusal to repent that can endanger that future. I have a perfect example of this with Kent. When I was raising him, I told him, I said, any discipline I do to you is going to be in private, but if you embarrass me and you bring me shame in public, I will embarrass you and bring you shame right then in public as well. Everything else will keep behind the closed doors. You ever do that, that's what's going to happen. Well, that's not nice. Well, it's not nice for you to start it either. So, at this point, he was probably 11 or 12, and he, one time, he did it in front of everybody. And I don't remember, it was some type of disrespect if he said something, and I called him out right there in front of everyone, and he was so embarrassed. One of the few times he turned red, he never did it again. That's how the Lord is. He'll, be, he'll happily walk you through private struggles. But again, you refuse to deal with it, it's going to all be out. Now, here's where we get to this revelation. So remember the phrase, deliver to the tortures? Get this. I'm going to read this out of the English Standard Version. 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. And it says, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And then Matthew 10, 28, and the Passion. Don't fear those who can kill only the body, but not your soul. Fear only God who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, this is where the fear of the Lord comes in, right? you got to have a healthy fear of the Lord. So, he compliments. His fear uh, always will compliment his love. Okay? Um, he's not going to be fearful in that you're scared of him although you should be at times, but his fear is going to make you feel even more loved. It's like, uh, and this shocked me, and I've, I've said this before, but when we used to help with youth, me and Mike, uh, Kent was on the worship band you know, for youth as well Sunday morning, and his youth pastor asked me, he said, because all the other kids are like sleeping around, doing drugs, drinking, and Kent's like the one, you know, kid out of all, even the good kids that's not doing any of that, and he said, how, how, how is it you're not doing all these things? And Kent sat there, and they said, well, my parents disciplined me with perfect love and fear. Love and discipline. And I was all, well, <laughs> thank you, son. Appreciate that. 
But it was. It was a it was a combination. He feared us, but he also knew we loved him, unlike probably anybody he had been in contact with before, right? So that's what the love of the Lord is and the fear of the Lord is. Okay, now, both are meant to keep you on the path of life. God never takes pleasure in destroying the wicked. That's Ezekiel 33, 11. He would rather they turn and live. For the believer, the Lord will execute judgment in turning a person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that person can still go to heaven. Now, here's the quick note. I was, for years, I've been trying to figure out, okay, God is good. Jesus overcame death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. He has no darkness in him, no evil in him. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So how is it Ananias and Sapphira drop dead? Right? How is it that some, they died, and it was a judgment from the Lord, right? How how can God do that if death does not dwell in him? If he's all life. Life cannot kill by its nature. You know why Adam and Eve and all them lived for almost a thousand years? Because the life of God was so powerful, it wouldn't stop. So finally God had to give a decree. Okay, they can only live 120 years because if they live any longer, they come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. And then later, he shortened it even more to 75 years is our guarantee as Christians. Now, you can live past 75 years, but that's that's the roundabout number of Proverbs. Okay, so his life was so powerful that he had to speak a decree to put a boundary on that because people were living too long. So how do people die by his judgment? Well, here it is. Deliver that person to Satan, the one who kills, the one who steals, the one who destroys. So this implies that God does not kill, God does not steal, and God does not destroy. The word deliver means, quote, to deliver over or up to the power of someone. The enemy has the power to kill, steal, and destroy. So it's jurisdictional. So what he does is, okay, in the context, remember, of this scripture is that man was sleeping with his uh, dad's wife, right? And so he's like, whoa, okay, that's stuff that even, you know, the Romans and all them don't do, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's, you know. So he's like, all right, here's what you got to do. As long as he's in the fellowship of the believers, he's not going to stop. So what I want y'all to do is excommunicate him. That's what that was. So you're going to excommunicate him so he's taken out of the gathering and now he's transferred to a different kingdom or dominion. But he didn't die. Remember? He repented. The whole purpose was to take him out of life, let him taste death. You want to, if you want to do that stuff, okay. But you're not going to be a part of it in the congregation of the Lord. So he obviously went through several probably trials and, and maybe even body trials and stuff. I mean, there's no telling what occurred. And then he repented. And so in the second letter, Paul said, bring him back into the fellowship. So just because someone's delivered over to the power for their flesh to be destroyed does not mean they will die. It is a tool in order for them to repent. Okay? Does that make sense? That was, I was like, finally, finally I understand. And notice it's done by decree. It's done by decree. And we've done that one time. I don't know if he's ever repented, but we've done that one time uh, as a, a, a congregation. So now it finally made sense. So even death is not a guarantee if you have to do that. But if the person refuses to repent when they are turned over to the power of the evil one, he or she, they will die. If you insist living like the devil, then you're going to live with the devil. Right? So he wants to prevent that, therefore they deliver them over. Now, here's the other question that occurred. <laughs> so I read that and I'm like, 
like I'm sitting at the table in the dining room and doing my notes. I'm like, finally, finally I figured out this whole death thing and how that works. God's not death and blah, blah. But then I was like, oh no. Well, what about the ones where they live and then they die and then they think they're going to heaven and the Lord's like, hey, depart from me. I don't know you, you who practice lawlessness. Why didn't they get delivered over Satan to die before the destruction of the soul? Why is their soul going to get destroyed? You know, I was like, a whole new Pandora's box of questions. I think I've kind of got it figured out actually a little bit. Um, I I believe, though, well, you know what? I don't, so I'm just not even going to go there. Okay. <laughs> so we do know that there are those, like we studied in Hebrews 6 and 10, that will lose their salvation. They will go to hell. But what constitutes those who are delivered over to Satan to save the soul and those who don't, I'm not sure. But we do know that there are specific things done by those who lose it. In Hebrews 10, 26-31, we have, For if they go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. So is this maybe referring to those who renounce him? They go that far? I think so. Well, how can they still perform miracles? Uh, I don't know. And then you have in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but to the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, they will prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And we know that the, they ministered in his name, but they practiced lawlessness instead of the word, and I'll end up in hell. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's the drawing line. I've already asked the Lord to let me know. I think that if you deny the Lord uh, because of persecution, you'll probably end up in hell. But how does a person, like why do some get delivered? Maybe it's because the church doesn't know and they don't deliver them over. I thought the gifts were irrevocable. Maybe, but, but then, you're eventually you, going to know. But then if you get into willful sinning. And, and well, they're already willfully sinning. My total, I mean, just... But they're, they're already doing it. And they they do usually it are until they get exposed. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It may be that no one ever says anything. Maybe no, maybe people just let them keep doing it, or maybe no one delivers them over to Satan. I don't know. Um, I, I'm sure the Lord obviously knows. Maybe we'll show me the scripture. David just kept right on his merry way until for a year, you know. And, and Nathan had to confront him. Came and confronted him. He had no conscience right. of what he did to Bathsheba. He didn't and necessarily her say, "I'm delivering you over," but he he, he spoke uh, some uh, harshness. He did. Which was I'm sure. Nathan told him that little parable. Mm -hmm. if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. There was this man who did this and that. And that. Yeah. And then he goes, "Go get him and yeah. have him killed." Yeah, the hypocrisy. Uh, yeah. And he's like, "Well, that's you." Ooh. And then it, maybe it's where you are confronted and they refuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting topic. If anybody has mm -hmm. any thoughts, let me know. There are those who ministered in His name but practice lawlessness and said the word will end up in hell. Uh, end up in hell. Some, they'll end up dying, they'll end up in heaven. During times of exposure, the exhortation is to not be weary. Weary is at ecluso, ecluso, E-K-L-U-S-O, and it means to lose one's motivation, to accomplish some valid goal, to become discouraged, to lose heart, to give up. What this tells me is that being reproved, is that being reproved, Involves uh, that involves exposure has a goal. Your repentance, uh, your restoration. So while you're in the process of cleaning up your mess, don't get weary, and it can be extremely, extremely difficult. You know, if you've been exposed, if there's lots of damage that's been done, I'm sure anyone that's gone through that, they want to give up at times, probably, or maybe they're just so embarrassed, they just want to go hide somewhere. I don't know, but. When that happens, whoever it is, know 
that the goal is always restoration. And hopefully you have some people around you that will help. So while you're in the process, don't get rid of it. Now the passion says that this kind of reproof uh, is when he puts you under scrutiny. 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 The Aramaic can be translated, don't let your soul tremble with dread when your loyalty strays from him. See, sinning is a loyalty issue. He's faithful and we're not. Here's the crazy thing about God's discipline. It draws you closer. It always does. You know? I remember times when I had to discipline Kent. It's like he wanted to be around me. You know, afterwards. Uh, same thing with my dad when he would, you know, like, well, he spanked me once. And I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried until I fell asleep and he never did it again. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's there's something about when you know your parent loves you, you feel closer to them that they cared enough to discipline So the phrase in verse 6, evidence of his faithful love, is the idea of him drawing you to himself to attract, to draw, and to tug at the heart. It can mean scourge, but the end result is a child of God that clings to the Lord. This can be the, uh, only be the result of those who understand that no matter the level of discipline, it's always for our good and from a father who loves without any corruption in it. So to recap, Nathesia is the word spoken. Padeo is the word with required action. And then this one, E-L-E-G, choke, this one is an exposure. Okay? All right, let's finish up with verses 7 through 8. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training, for he's doing what uh, any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? We should all welcome God's discipline as the validation uh, of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. So real quick, the word endure means to stay under. So when you're in his discipline, at any time you can remove yourself from the training. But you are either prolonging or you're amplifying the level of discipline or you're putting your own life in danger if you refuse to heed his, his correction. The good news is that you're validated as a true child of God versus an illegitimate, which is in the Greek born out of wedlock and thus without legal status or rights, a bastard. So we've all been left without discipline as orphans before Christ, but not now. Okay? Well, then, you know, you don't, you don't go and correct somebody else's kids. No, I don't unless they're at my home messing with my stuff. But you, you, but you may say something if you don't want them. You know, you say that's just the way it goes. Sometimes, I have one kid, I told him, I said, you, you do that again, I'm going to spank you. You can't spank me, my parents won't let you. I said, yeah, let's do, let's, you know, let's go. I'll spank you now. Anyway, I went, I, I went to, it might actually be my sister's daughter, but anyway, I went to the parent and I said, hey, do I have permission to spank your child if they do this? And I'm like, absolutely. And that kid all of a sudden behaved, you know, and didn't do the thing I was telling them not to do. It's amazing. But yes, you're right. Most people will not discipline someone else's kid. They must not be a deep person. Okay, so verse 9. And isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers even though they are corrected and disciplined, even though they corrected and disciplined us? then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Our parents corrected us for the short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them. But God corrects us through our lives for our own good, giving us an invitation to share his holiness. Okay, so the word share, it means to an invitation to share in his moral holiness, according to the Greek. So he's already made his holiness holy, right? We know that. But that holiness is to permeate every part of our soul and body where as triune beings we serve God to the fullest. Okay? Verse 11. Now all discipline seems to be painful at the time, yet later it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. Okay, so here's the goals, the goal of all the levels of discipline save the destruction of the flesh. It's a transformation of character. That's the goal. It's to take the reality of Christ in you, the expectation of glory, outward into all of your thinking, 
all of your emotions, all of your behavior, everything. That's that's the goal. Holiness is supposed to spread like a virus. Okay, righteousness is supposed to actually produce a crop. Uh, the um, transformation of character, the uh, word where it says yield to it, uh, that can be translated those who have endured its gymnastic training. Now that's interesting because gymnastics is tough. You've got to have really strong core strength, right? Like your core has to be very, very strong. It should be for everybody and for every sport because your core is what keeps you from injury, etc. But in gymnastics, it especially has to be because you're using your core in every single thing. Same thing with dancers. Dancers have very fit cores and bodies because they have to use their core all the, all of the time. So I think that's interesting that even in the Greek, it's the phrase gymnastic training. So physical training, especially training that is corrective in nature, is intense. It requires sustained focus and effort. In fact, personally, I found training, including stretching, to fix something harder than just swinging a kettlebell. I'll sweat more. I'll even feel it in my emotions and my mental. Like if I have to correct a movement or if I have to stretch in a way that's really difficult to correct something that's injured, it is more painful and more difficult than if I'm just there doing my training, my normal training. So that's what it is in our discipline. It's like we've got things that are on autopilot, but when the Lord starts really honing in on something, you have to stay focused on that sucker. You have to really work and, and maintain an intensity until you get through to the other side. And then you have to guard it until it becomes part of your makeup. It's worth the transformation because what is hurting you, that's what you have to do in order to fix it. You may feel pain, but you have to feel pain sometimes to stop the damaging pain. There's a pain that hurts and a pain that heals in the kingdom. Okay? So be made strong, even in your weakness, by living up your tired hands in prayer and worship. I thought that was a key. And strengthen your weak knees. For as you keep walking forward, another key, on God's path, all your stumbling ways will be divinely healed. I thought that was neat. So prayer and worship, obviously, when, especially when you're fatigued. And then whenever your knees are weak, that's not the time to sit down. You'll end up in a wheelchair. When you're feeling weakness, that's where you keep walking forward. You don't stop. So weakness in the Greek here is the inability to lift up the hands. And then weak for knees refers to a part of the body that's been paralyzed. I thought that was interesting. If you've ever tried to walk paralyzed, I'm sure it's difficult. Well, that's what, when you see people that have laid in bed too long. Yeah. Or, you know, aren't they been injured or whatever, and they yeah. go through physical therapy, it's quite painful. Yeah. But to me, like when I think about it, if you're paralyzed, you can't walk. But he's saying, if your knees are paralyzed, walk. And then there will be divine healing. It's the action required before the manifestation. Right? The other thing is what kind of faith do you have to have to keep walking when you're at the point where you've been exposed? You know what I mean? Still show up to church. Still read the Bible. You know, I mean, I can't imagine, but I'm sure it's very difficult. And so he's saying, even if you feel paralyzed, you get up and you walk. I love that. The word lame means lame or infirm in a spiritual sense, physically disabled, especially in the foot or leg, so as to limp or walk with difficulty. It's a stumbling, strenuous gait or not walking at all. God's discipline heals. Wherever there's a, a, remember, there's a pain that hurts and a pain that heals. Choose the pain that heals. And that's the one that will always keep you moving forward. Okay? So isn't that interesting? I just thought this was a really, really good lesson. So I guess the fourth form of discipline would be you don't repent, you end up dead, but at least you're in heaven. Well, and I, how many of us have been faced with something that you're like, I can't do that? Whether it's learn uh, how to use something on the computer or, uh, you know, it's usually something you don't have, have never done and don't realize you can do and you don't think you can do. 
that you start that process of going forward. Yeah. You know, even if it's little. Well, because if you've never used a computer, you're paralyzed in that area. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because you haven't ever done it before. You're just, right. you're, you know, you're stationary. So the, you know, you know. <laughs> I went to a class to learn how to use it. Everybody turned on the computers. We were just, that was like some weird. I'm like, I had to raise my hand on, where is Owen on this computer? <laughs> and they're like, well, this one's different. That's I got it. called to a guy, and he's like, my computer's broken. I just bought it, blah, blah. So I turned it on, and I'm like, seems fine to me. Well, he had never turned on the computer. Yeah. He had turned on the monitor, and he thought that was supposed to turn on the computer. <laughs> I said, that does not lead yourself to soft confidence. If you have to raise your hand, yes. on. How to turn it on? <laughs> That's like I was uh, mentoring a, an individual, I think it was Thursday, and I told him, I said, you know, because a lot of people, it's like, you know, they live by I should or, you know, all these shoulds. And I said, well, here's the thing that people need to learn about uh, making new habits. Number one, you have to have what's called an intentional interrupt. On this day, at this place, I will do for this long. That, that's what it is. I said, but then, here's the key a lot of people don't get. It's extreme. They'll either, like they'll want to diet and then they'll throw out everything that's good in their kitchen. And then they'll want to go on a marathon the next day. And I'm like, that ain't gonna work. Well, that's just how I roll. Okay, well, I'll just see you roll right into failure because <laughs> that ain't gonna fix it, you know. What science has learned is the tiniest step forward, and here's the key. So let's say you're like, you know, I should train at the gym. Okay, that's what I told you. Drive to the gym one night. Come on. Drive the gym, go in, and then go home. Drive to the gym, go in, do a five-minute walk, go home. Decide, I'll do that twice this week, at this time, at this gym. Here's what happens. Here's the brain hack. It drops dollar in your brain. If you set a goal to drive to the parking lot of the gym, you you you, you did that. Now you got your your dopamine. Oh, we like that. Then you set your goal. I'm gonna go inside this time. Now you may look like an idiot. So you're like, why well, that person going? Then leave. But it's okay. Go in. You left another dollop of dopamine. Dopamine is addictive. It's a reward center. That's why if you hear your phone make a you know little ding might look it up. If it doesn't make a ding, you'll, you'll self-interrupt just to pick up your phone. Why? Because you've been trained by those dollops of dopamine. And so that's why I tell people, start very tiny. If you're trying to break a habit of eating junk food, don't have that one snack you normally have for one day that week, and that's it. Or put it on for five minutes, and you'll start re uh, triggering that reward system. It's the same thing in, you know, in the the Here's the way I like to put it. God made our bodies to respond to reward. Didn't he say that we have to believe that they exist and that he rewards those who diligently seek him? It is false humility and religion that says God does not reward. So he designed us to be that way in all aspects, and that's why we have dopamine. And like y'all have also uh, uh, heard me say, people that battle addiction, they don't make enough dopamine. Scientists have tied dopamine to being having an absentee father or an abusive father. Dopamine is tied to the father. Isn't that interesting? Whoa. And it's the ability to feel loved by the father. And if you're not feeling loved by your father, then more than likely you'll resort to addictive behaviors. Is that crazy? Uh, so everything, everything is tied to how God designed us. That was pretty all right, well, let's do our uh, tithes and offerings. And so, Father, we thank you so much that you're a good dad, that you discipline us, and it's your kindness that you do it in levels. Um, I also want to thank you that you expect a return on your investment. You don't just do things for the thing's sake. You do it because there's a specific uh, picture, there's a specific goal, there's a specific destiny that you have for each one of us, and you tailor-make our discipline, our instruction, and our learning for us specifically. 
So I ask that you help us to recognize your instruction, to recognize your Nathesia, your Padeia, all of those different levels, Father. Help us to recognize them and help us to not assign your discipline to something the enemy's doing or basically because we made a dumb decision. And Father, I ask this morning that uh, you uh, receive our tithes and offerings. We give these with joy. Uh, we're not giving to you this morning out of any law or legality based on the Torah. We're giving to you because we love to give to you and we are loyal to you. It's our, our affirmation of loyalty that we take the, the money we earn and we give it to you. And so I ask, Father, that you help us to use that money according to your will and what you want done with it as uh, as the hub. And Father, we thank you once again for independence. We thank you for this country. We ask that you raise up an army, both of Christ followers and those who do not yet know you, uh, but both raise up an army, Father, that are willing to fight for this country and restore her back to your original intent. We thank you for those that have laid down their lives in battle, that die for us, Father, to protect our rights. And we also thank you for those that serve, that never die, but they serve for us to protect us and to keep us safe. Those and first responders, we thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we went to uh, 